God is sovereign. He is in control of history. Don't be afraid of what might come. He is on his throne. He has mapped out history, and it's going to happen exactly according to his plan, exactly as he chooses. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. How should you respond to the prophecies of the Old Testament? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part eight of 70 Years and 70 Weeks. We'll be looking at three ways you are to respond to Daniel's prophecy. You'll discover that you're to be courageous because of God's power, to not be afraid of what might come, but to be confident in God's plan, and be patient with God's timing. And finally, you are to trust that God will keep His promises to Israel and to you. Do you believe all of that? Let's join our teacher to find out more now on The Word Unleashed. A terrible famine raged in the city, and the bodies of the inhabitants were literally stacked like cordwood in the streets. Mothers ate their children to preserve their own strength. The toll of Jewish suffering was horrible, but they would not surrender the city. When at last the walls were breached, Titus tried to preserve the temple by giving orders to his soldiers not to destroy or burn it. But the anger of the soldiers against the Jews was so intense that maddened by the resistance they encountered, they disobeyed the order of their general and set fire to the temple. There were great quantities of gold and silver there which had been placed in the temple for safekeeping. This melted and ran down between the rocks and into the cracks of the stones. When the soldiers captured the temple area, in their greed to obtain this gold and silver, they took long bars and pried apart the massive stones. Thus, quite literally, not one stone was left standing upon another. The temple itself was totally destroyed though the wall supporting the area upon which the temple was built was left partially intact, and a portion of it remains to this day called the Western Wall, or as it's often referred to, the Wailing Wall, as we saw just, some of us saw just a few weeks ago. So, after the 60 week, 69 weeks, you have Messiah killed, and you have Jerusalem and the temple destroyed. That brings us to the the third detail of this prophecy, it's what happens from the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple until what's called the end in verse 26. Notice, even to the end, there will be war, desolations are determined. Now, let me just tell you, there are two possible ways to take the end of verse 26. Some say it refers to the Roman destruction in 70 AD and only to the Roman destruction. In other words, Till the very end of their destruction of the city, there was war and then desolation. That's possible. Another view, and the one I'm inclined to take, is that it refers prophetically to the period from the destruction of Jerusalem to the end of this age. And Daniel says, until the end, there will be wars and desolations that will constantly affect the people of Israel, and that is certainly a reality. 
Now that brings us to the final detail that's revealed here, and that's Daniel's 70th week. Verse 27, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, our threefold division in this passage becomes very important. You have seven weeks, or 49 years, till the rebuilding of the city. Then you have 62 weeks, or 434 weeks, until Messiah. Now, how many weeks is that? How many weeks so far? 69 weeks, or 483 years. Daniel said from the rebuilding of the city to Messiah being cut off, there would be 69 weeks, and then he describes some things that happen after those two things that describe that, that happen after those 69 weeks. But what happened to the 70th week? Well, verse 27 introduces us to it. There's one week left. When is this one final week of seven years? That's a key question to this passage. Let me tell you that there are only three options regarding this famous 70th week. Here are your choices. Choice number one is that the 70th week began immediately after the 69th week. I mean, that seems logical, right? There's a problem with that, however. If you take this approach, the events of verse 27 are not connected to any great event. The 70th week just sort of fizzles out seven years after Christ. And there's nothing that's marked there, certainly nothing that verse 27 describes. A second approach is to say this, the 70th week is not seven literal years, but rather is symbolic of a period of time. And there are two views uh, with this sort of symbolic approach. First of all, the 70th week is symbolic, some would say, of the time from Christ until 70 AD. Again, the math doesn't work, right? It's not, it's not the right period of time, but they would say that's, that's the, the, the time marked out. This is what is called the preterist view whether it's partial or full preterist. I'm not going to take time now to go into that. Some of you are familiar with that, but this is one view. The second symbolic view is that the 70th week is symbolic of the time from Christ all the way until the second coming. This is the normal covenantal view. What's the problem here? Well, this view is seriously flawed because it requires changing from literal years for the first 69 weeks, which they would all argue, to symbolism with the last week in the same verse and for no obvious reason. Again, you would never do that with any other document. That's, that's absolutely capricious. And so this view doesn't hold. The third view is that the 70th week will be seven literal years at some point in the future. 
And I would argue that this is the view that makes the most sense. Why would I argue that? Well, let me give you some arguments. The 70th week is future for these reasons. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm just going to list them. But you can go back and think think it through and, and develop it as well. Number one, because the six goals back in chapter 9, verse 24, were not all fulfilled during Christ's first coming. That means there has to be time for those goals to be completed, for them to be finished. We have certainly not experienced everlasting righteousness among God's people. Remember, the prophecy is about Israel and the city. Number two, second reason I would say this, is because Messiah's death and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem did not occur during the 69th week, but after. That's explicitly what verse 26 says. The natural implication of that is that there is a gap between week 69 and week 70. Now, such gaps are not uncommon in prophecy. I mean, remember when Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, in the synagogue in Nazareth, he stopped halfway through a verse, and there was a huge time gap between the first part of the verse and the second part of the verse. So this is not uncommon in biblical prophecy. A third reason is the person who confirms the covenant in verse 27 can't be Christ. There's somebody in verse 27 who confirms and breaks a covenant. Well, guess what? Christ didn't confirm a covenant during his first first appearing, and he didn't break a covenant during his first appearing. Number four, the abomination of desolation that's described in verse 27 hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened because Jesus says in Matthew 24, 15, that it would come immediately before his second coming. And so it didn't happen in the time of Christ. And it didn't happen in 70 70 A.D. because that wasn't immediately before his second coming. Number five, the person in verse 27, whoever that is, corresponds with the person described in Revelation 12 and 13 who has not yet appeared and who has not yet been judged as described in Revelation 19. And a final reason I would give you is this. If the 69 weeks, the first 69 weeks end with Messiah's first coming and the 70th week ends with the second coming, then there has to be a gap. So, Daniel's 70th week is still future. After 483 years, after the first 69 weeks, at some point during the ministry of Jesus our Lord, Israel's prophetic clock stopped ticking. Shortly after their rejection of the Messiah, they're putting him to death. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. The Jews scattered. But there is a seven-year period in the future when the events of verse 27 will unfold and God will finish his plan for the people of Israel. Let's look at it together. Here is this future seven-year period. Verse 27 says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Now, the he here cannot be Christ. The closest antecedent for the pronoun he is back in verse 26, the prince who will come. In addition, this person must come just before Christ's second coming. 
That's how it's described in Matthew 24. In fact, turn to Matthew 24. Let me just show you this so you don't take my word for it. Matthew 24, and notice verse 15. This is the Olivet Discourse, Jesus talking about the future. And he says, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's a quote from verse 27 of Daniel 9, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee the mountains, whoever's on the housetop must not go down. In other words, there's urgency. You need to act. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulations such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of heaven will be shaken, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. You see the the lockstep of Jesus' logic here. He says, when you see this abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel in Daniel 9.27, then run because great tribulation's about to unfold, and then following that great tribulation, the Son of Man will come. So back in Daniel chapter 9, the he of verse 27 is... The prince who will come, of verse 26, the Antichrist, and the little horn that we already met back in chapter 7. It's the same person. In New Testament prophecy, we meet this person as well. I'm not going to take you there because we'll, we'll meet this guy again later in Daniel. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 3 and following, we hear about this man, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, and we meet him again in Revelation 13, verses 1 to 10. So, in our text, verse 27, Gabriel says that the Antichrist, don't miss this, there's coming a week in Israel's history, seven years, still in the future, and Antichrist will make a covenant with the many. That's undoubtedly a reference to Israel. And the terms for this treaty or this covenant will be for one week or for seven years. Verse 27 goes on to say, but in the middle of the week, what's the middle of seven years? Three and a half. In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. He'll make a covenant for seven years with the people of God, with Israel. But at the end of three and a half years, he will terminate that agreement and demand an end of all worship in the temple. But that's not all. Verse 27 goes on to say, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. It's an awkward expression. Literally, it reads this way, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abominations of desolation. 
Now, if you're familiar with Daniel, if you were here when we worked our way through it, you recognize that expression, abomination of desolation. It's a phrase that was used in chapter 11, or that, that's already been used, will be used in chapter 11, verse 31, of what Antiochus Epiphanes did at the temple back in his day before Christ. But this is not about Antiochus. Because remember, in Matthew 24, Jesus said this prophecy was still future in his day. So this verse is about the Antichrist. Antichrist will, will be the ultimate expression of what Antiochus did. He will pollute the temple by placing a statue and an altar of himself that create what is described here in Hebrew as the overspreading of desolation. Here's how it's described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In fact, turn there with me. Again, I want you to see this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look at verse 3. Paul writes, Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come, that is, the day of the Lord will not come, unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And notice how he's described. This is another expression, another description of Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. There's the abomination that has wings, that pollutes and desolates and destroys the holy place of God like no other. Now go back to Daniel chapter 9. Verse 27 says, he's going to do this. Antichrist is going to, to pollute and desolate, notice verse 27, even until a complete destruction. From the middle of the week, or at three and a half years in that final week of Israel's history, he will make the temple desolate by his idolatry, by worship of himself. But he will face complete destruction, notice that, at the end of those 70 weeks, until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, that is, God's already determined it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen this way, until it is poured out on the one who makes desolate. In other words, Antichrist himself will be destroyed. Go back to chapter 7, verse 25. Here's how it read there. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Again, three and a half years. But the court, God's court, will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Or listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Here's how it's described in Revelation 19, verses 19 and 20. I saw the beast 
that's Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse, that is our Lord, and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, and these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. That's what Daniel's talking about. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on Antichrist himself, the one who makes desolate, who pollutes the temple of God, who exalts himself as God, who demands worship. So understand this, this final week of Israel's history, seven years, is the tribulation period. The tribulation begins with the revelation of the Antichrist and his covenant with Israel, supposedly a seven-year treaty. But at the midpoint of those seven years, Antichrist will break that covenant. He'll unleash countless atrocities against the people of God. And for three and a half years, the second half of those seven years, it will be a period of incredible destruction, a period called the Great Tribulation. And at the end of that final week, the 70th week of Daniel, Christ will return in glory. What an amazing prophecy. I want, you to, I want you just to be aware of what we've learned in Daniel chapter 9. Think about what is prophesied in this little paragraph. First of all, it's prophesied that Messiah would come 483 years after the decree to rebuild the city, which is exactly during the time of our Lord's ministry. Secondly, it's prophesied that Messiah would be killed. He would be cut off. Thirdly, it's prophesied that since he will eventually return and destroy Antichrist, Messiah would be raised to life again. He had to be. He's cut off, and yet he shows up again. And then you find a prophecy in this paragraph that the city of Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed again after the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the time of Titus in 70 A.D., Fifthly, you see at the end of the age, an evil ruler will arise who will persecute God's people. Number six, the Messiah will return and destroy that ruler and establish his own kingdom as prophesied in chapter 2, chapter 7. And then number seven, during the time these 70 weeks of prophecy unfold, God will accomplish all of the magnificent goals that he outlined in verse 24. How do you respond to all of this? Well, let me encourage you to respond in three ways. Number one, be courageous because of God's power. God is sovereign. He is in control of history. Don't be afraid of what might come. He is on his throne. He has mapped out history, and it's going to happen exactly according to his plan, exactly as he chooses. Secondly, be confident in God's plan. He will accomplish all of his purpose. All of these things that are outlined here, those goals, they will be fulfilled. He will bring in everlasting righteousness. He's already made atonement for sin. He will bring sin to a conclusion, and he will bring in everlasting righteousness, and he will establish the reign of his Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, be patient for God's timing. He will take back this earth from the usurper. He will pour out his wrath on his enemies. He will crush those who have set themselves against him. 
and he will keep his promises to Israel and to us. So trust and obey. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes his current series titled 70 Years and 70 Weeks. Join us next time when Tom begins a brand new series as he once again takes us to God's Word. And Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? Friend, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would just ask you to again to consider the ways you're to respond and ask yourself how you're doing. Are you really courageous because you know God's power to accomplish His plan? Are you patient as He works that plan out both in your life and in human history? And let me ask you, do you really trust in your heart of hearts that God is going to keep His promises both to you as well as to His people Israel? And if you believe those things, then let me encourage you to live a life of rest, comfort, and peace knowing that our God is driving the bus and we can let him drive, take the route he wants, knowing that he will arrive at the destination he has chosen. Thanks, Tom. Church leadership can often seem like hazardous duty. Leaders can have both mountaintop experiences and seasons of discouragement. How can you, as a leader of Christ's church, faithfully respond to the different perspectives on leadership and the trials and triumphs of ministry. In Tom Pennington's book, Faithful Stewards, Tom identifies three key perspectives on church leadership that can help you maintain spiritual stability in ministry. Purchase your copy of Faithful Stewards today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.